to Literally Gagging. This is usually a podcast dedicated to books that have more anal than Austin, more BDSM than Bronte, and get you harder than Hardy ever could. Today, we're going in a different direction, and in a Valentine's special, we hope to be plucking your heartstrings instead of plucking yourself. So strap in and get yourself ready for some Austin erotic asphyxiation. Ah, it'll work. My name's Molly, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Hannah. How are you today, Hannah? I'm good, babes. I'm glad to be back. This yeah. is fun. It's, good, it's been it? a little, it's been a hot sack, hasn't it, since we did this? Yeah, I think last one was Christmas, so yeah. we progressed through January to today. We're back in another lockdown, still, it always. It feels like one big lockdown now, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like there's any really differentiation does. between the two. Well, I was thinking about the little reprieve we got in the summer. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, obviously, we all did what we were told to do, which mm. was eat out to help out, go and do stuff. And isn't it mad with hindsight? I'm like, why were we allowed to do that? Why has like, schools been allowed to go back in? I get children's education is important, but they're just little, like, germ magnets, aren't they? Yeah, they they're know. disgusting and they can't sit still and they cough over everything and they can't not touch each other like how do you stop children from touching and like cleaning every oh yeah no it's a nightmare but we are still in lockdown Mm -hmm. and i suspect that's probably going to be the case for most of this podcast unless it goes on way into the future we're going to preface this whole thing by saying if anyone's listened to the first ever episode when we did riders way back when and we didn't have a clue what we were doing and we barely had a format and we didn't know how to edit expect more of that because we're both very out of practice i think what we should do is probably introduce the book that we're reading this week so people will understand why Why it's going to be a hot mess so yeah we did on our instagram and on our twitter a little poll and we thought of some of the most romantic books we could think of and we asked you what you thought had the best love story and in your infinite wisdom you chose Pride and Prejudice. It's a classic. Which is a classic. It is a classic. It is a classic. I have a lot of thoughts, feelings and opinions on whether it's actually a love story. Um, Well we're going to get into that. But we'll get into it. Um, Because we're doing a Valentine's special we're sort of, as Hannah said, we're going to be jumping about a bit because let's face it, if you guys voted for PMP you know the story of PMP. You don't need us to read tell it all to you in proper factual accuracy yeah you don't need just a chronological retelling of the book because you've either read the book or you've seen colin firth coming out of the lake Mm -hmm. or you've seen kira knightley doing her thing bridget jones before i tried to make like a list of all the adaptations i could think of prejudice knockoff Mark Darcy. Oh my god. Mate, does that when I said that to you the other day, did you just think I was talking about Bridget Jones for no reason? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Daniel thought... Cleaver's like the Wickham esque character. Is that Hugh Grant? Yeah. Okay. Did not know that. I just okay. thought every day's a school day. Oh uh, yeah. I just thought Bridget Jones was like someone who thinks she's fat but is actually a size ten, tries to get a man. I mean she's it is also that. It's it is very much <laughs> it's very that. But it is technically like do they a have sort a family? Of... Does she have a sister? No, it's like the love triangle is the only bit that uh, they they really ha- they really ham up the Wickham end of the love love triangle. Well, yeah, there we go. I have learnt something this Friday evening. Well, we're all learning, aren't we? If you've picked this, or if you haven't picked this, whether you like it or not, you probably know this story inside out. Mm. You don't need us to rehash it. We're just going to see what happens, really, aren't mm. we? We're really just going to take this one as it comes and have a little drunken rant 
about, about it. the Regency period and, again. Um, Hannah, what are you drinking this uh, I, Friday afternoon? I am drinking a lemon drizzle gin. Ooh. I've not, I, honestly, I haven't drunk vast amount in the interim that we've not been filming because there comes a point where it feels a bit sad to just be sat in your house. You're not allowed to leave drinking by yourself, doesn't it? So I don't know. Maybe I'll be completely loopy by the end of this episode. I like a drink. There's a good chance I will have completely lost my mind by the time we finish <laughs> recording this. So that will be fun. And what are you drinking, hun? I just got, well, big story. The car broke down. So <gasps> my partner couldn't go to Tesco's and get me everything that I'd ever wanted. So I really wanted a VK. I don't know why I thought Jane Austen and a little VK would go really well together but i couldn't get my vk so he got me a bottle of um, white rioca instead oh well that's classy classy, i think yeah i think jane would appreciate the class shall we go straight in with a bit about jane yeah and then we'll have a little chat about me about jane i know nothing about jane so i'm gonna be real her wikipedia page is fucking long and i started trying to write all of it down and then i was like this is not interesting or relevant so it's the edited highlights of her Wikipedia page, as I'm sure we all expected. So, Jane Austen was born on the 16th of December, 1775, in Hampshire. She's she was a Sagittarius. Could you have guessed that? Does that tell us something about the book? No, nah, she doesn't feel like a Sagittarius. <laughs> Is it in the 1770s? Had astrology been invented yet? Yeah, it, I, I think astrology was invented. I don't think people like Jane Austen would have partaken in it. That's true. The beginning of her Wikipedia page was quite interesting, and then it just got a bit much. It's dry. She was a month late as a baby how grim is that like a month overdue or did we just not know a lot about conception and female reproduction a good point it said she was a month late and i was like that's really grim imagine Mm. how grim that would be and she wasn't baptized she was born in december she wasn't baptized until the following april because it was a very harsh winter just just fun facts for you (laughs) (laughs) this is the point where i was really writing down everything very loosely fun facts there Fun, fun is very um, open to interpretation. <laughs> so she came from a family of wool merchants. By the time the money had got to her part of the family, they'd kind of fallen on hard times. Her dad was in the church. She was educated at home for most of the time. She did have a stint in a boarding school until they couldn't afford the fees anymore. And I feel like at this time, the fact that she went to school is probably quite a big mm. deal. But a lot of people wouldn't have had that opportunity. No, that's what I get. don't get. Because a lot of people, when I've been listening to podcasts and stuff, have been like, oh my days, she was so poor. And I'm like, was she poor or was she middle class poor it says they fell on hard times but they still sent her to boarding school for a bit which yeah. is more than most poor people get the fact that she got an education tells me she's probably not that poor no. when was she born again 17 1775 so we're sort of in the midst of the industrial revolution happening yeah i feel like she's probably okay hun. and also which we'll get on to in a bit there was a bit where apparently like her and her family were big massive tories which isn't really a surprise if you consider that she's writing about the landed gentry Mm. in the 1800s a lot of people have kind of been like oh she's such a feminist oh she's such a legend and it's like uh she probably was for the the time time. she is she's not not a feminist she was critiquing society Mm. but she was still a conservative upholding its values and her family were like not into the liberal movement and stuff so don't get too excited you know she's still a piece of shit (laughs) she started writing when she was 11 and her early work has been described as being full of anarchic fantasies of female power so that's quite exciting which sounds more exciting than this but who knows what anarchic fantasies were in the 1800s probably just having pockets this. that's an anarchic fantasy isn't it oh my 1800s. god who do you think you are it's an anarchic fantasy now so she started writing when she was 11 she wrote loads of stuff i started again like i started writing down all the stuff she wrote and then i literally wrote she wrote loads it's not important so she wrote a lot of stuff <laughs> you know she, this she one's like 
humour and sense and sensibility. Manfield, Mansfield Park. They don't. The rest of it can. Yeah. She fancied a lawyer called Tom Lafroy, but they weren't allowed to get married because neither of them had any money. And then she had one other marriage proposal from a family friend, which was considered it would have been like a very practical, mm. advantageous match. But she turned him down because she didn't like him, and she cautioned her niece against accepting a proposal from someone she didn't like by saying anything is to be preferred or endured rather than marrying without affection which again quite revolutionary yeah. for the time and again that tells me she wasn't that poor if she could afford to turn down a marriage proposal, a, a proposal. Yeah. but in her time she wrote six major novels which all explore the kind of the dependence of women on marriage in that pursuit of like societal stability economic stability and kind of critique and mm. comment on that sector of society she had to publish all her books anonymously because women couldn't sign legal contracts so a male relative had to sign all her legal Yawn. contracts writing was seen to be degrading to femininity and she couldn't be seen to be seeking any recognition for it mm -hmm. which really sadly her name didn't appear on any of her work within her lifetime it's only That's been mental, actually after she died because when sense and sensibility which was her first book came out it was just credited as written by a lady that was a big hit so all of the others were then by the author of sense and sensibility but it wasn't until after her death that she has had her name attributed to her work but her work was popular while she was alive then they loved it they absolutely loved it they had to keep doing new print runs of it and stuff oh, wow. Um, and she she made like £140 off one of them, which I believe Ooh. was quite a lot of money. She died on the 18th of July, 1817, aged 41. She was ill for well over a year with probably what we think now was Hodgkin's lymphoma. And two of her novels were published posthumously. Her work has been in print since 1833. There was a little bit of time after her death where they were sorting out who owned what yeah. and stuff. And then since then, she has been consistently in print for nearly 100 years. And one thing that's been credited as possibly the first piece of fan fiction was published in the ladies magazine in 1823 which featured Jane Austen as a character in like a story that oh, someone wow. else had written so like how people write fan fiction about Harry Styles yeah. someone had done that for Jane Austen and that's kind of it like I it's a very brief potted mm. history because there was a lot of shit that I didn't care about people like her she's good is generally the review generally the consensus she's on the £10 note isn't she she is on the £10 note yeah since 2007 17, uh, I think, Charles yeah. Dickens. This book as well, the Beeb researched, asked loads of Brits what they thought their favourite book was, and Pride and Prejudice came second. What came first was actually Lord of the Rings. As one person I was listening to said, this was in 2003, which was in the midst of all the Lords of the Rings films coming out. So it would have naturally been pushed up because people were enjoying the hype. So if you think about it, maybe Pride and Prejudice is actually the nation's favourite book. Probably is if you consider of all time. Time, as opposed yeah. to during Lord of the Rings for not it would be like there would have been a year where you could have asked what people's favourite book was and they would have said Harry Potter or they would yeah. have said Fifty Shades of Grey because it's mm. the thing that's in their head and then the big classic is yeah. like the next step down it's really interesting to read something where you know the story so well despite having never read the book so because I don't fuck with classics really but I've seen a lot say, of adaptations as someone who is an English was an English student has an English degree Hannah Simpson how did 
you get away without reading Pride and Prejudice once through your academic education? I don't know. And it, I mean, it's even more impressive when you consider that for GCSE, A-level and my degree, I wrote essays about Jane Eyre and I've never read it. Oh, really? So I don't like classics. I, can't, I don't fuck with classics. But it was interesting because I've seen so many versions of it. It yeah. was interesting to be like, oh, this is the actual story. You can kind of see that it's become the blueprint for a lot of romantic comedies and kind mm. of the concept of that. I'm not saying she like invented it obviously there was stuff before that yeah but taming of the shrew that taming of the shrew yeah. is a absolute classic, classic example style. of miscommunications lots of different people the love triangle all mm. that kind of stuff but it was interesting because the plot itself is sort of fine it's interesting it's like yeah. there's all this stuff happening the prose is so slow oh my god it's so hard to it's, read i literally only finished reading it this morning because i'm not a reader i think most people who listen to this podcast know i don't really read and for this one i was just like jane come on pick it up let's move it a little bit because she'd write something that i was really interested in and i was like getting involved in it and then she would go off on these spiels about like what other people were thinking and about what other people were feeling and maybe about the coach journey somewhere and i was like i do not give a shit i don't give a shit about this i want to know the story and i like dialogue as well and what i found difficult was that sometimes they would say that there was dialogue happening and it would be like oh and they had a merry conversation where he said this and then it will cut to like a specific bit of speech and i was like but I want to know about that conversation before. There are scenes where it's like, and so and so confessed his, and I'm like, show me him confessing his love. Don't tell yeah, me he did it. Completely. Show um, me it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but when it just went, oh, and now they're engaged, I was like, where is the fucking proposal? Where is it? Because if this is a love story, that's what I want. I want the chocolate box sort of romance side of it. Not just Lizzie sneaking upstairs and going to Jane oh my days we're engaged I want to see it but we don't and that's what I found really weird when I was like looking into it because your thing is that you look um, you listen to podcasts for research yeah. for the podcast I've taken to TikTok as my main source <laughs> of research there's a lot of Pride and Fred content on TikTok the kids love it but everyone was obsessed with this scene that I had to go and Google because I'd just finished the book mm. and then I was like there's like this quote that people kept sharing but it's actually just in the Kira Knightley version it's oh. not in the book and it's like the big thing at the end, the big confrontation where, you know, the proposal. And he says, in the film, you have bewitched me body and soul and I love, I love, I love you and wish from this day forth never to be parted from you. And I had to go back in the book and was like, where does he say that? And he doesn't, he doesn't. like he doesn't say it in the book. I was kind of disappointed that Twilight didn't win. But I now think Twilight might be a better love story because it actually has some fucking love in it. It has people expressing their emotions. Whereas this was just posh people being posh and awkward around each other it's not my mo anyway it's obviously and i get that that's what it was it was the time mm. period it's very laced up it's that like joke people have been making now about like oh if you're dating during the pandemic it's like being in a regency novel where you're not allowed to touch each other and yeah. stuff and that like tension but i think that tension comes across better on screen than it does yeah. in the book because it's told so matter-of-factly it's like and they went for a walk and he told her that he had great affection for her and it's like i'm not feeling that i'm not getting no, the, the feels it from says that. that they didn't speak for five minutes but obviously on film you can show you wouldn't show you for five feel minutes, the tension you? Yeah. whereas you go we didn't speak for five minutes i'm like okay i, I don't care <laughs> would be really interested to know if before colin firth 
got his top off if this had been the nation's favourite book before then or if it had been a contender because I think most people think Pride and Prejudice think of that scene of Colin Firth coming out of which isn't in the the book book. because I was looking for it I was like the gay Is this going to be where it happens? They're at Pemberley. They're by a lake. What's... No. All his clothes are still on. I think that a lot of people say it's their favourite book, but haven't read it. They've just seen Colin Firth get his top off. You know, that's fine. Like, I respect that. I have a lot of respect for that. And I do believe as well, and maybe this is part of the thing I have with classics, is for a start, I definitely, obviously, as I say, like read this post having seen it a million times, so I know the plot. But also, maybe if I'd read this as a teenager, I would have been like, yeah. oh my goodness, Mr. Yeah, Darcy. True. Whereas now I'm like, I'm a bit over it all. Like Lizzie's 21, isn't she? Here? And she's such a 21 she's year old. She thinks girl. she knows everything. And I sit here nearly 30 being like, oh come on like let's just get this over and done with like the energy you were expending on this man is exhausting i am i am exhausted how much you claim to hate him and yet he's the only thing you think about for like 300 pages this book is, is like, so emo it's oh my god so it is yeah emo. normally the big emo book especially for teenagers is wuthering heights like that's uh, like yeah. abusive relationship mm. emo or it's like he's so toxic but we uh we, whatever mm. and this is just like you know your mate at uni who's like, oh my God, so-and-so's there. And you're like, why do you care? Just go and bang them. If you care, go and bang them. And if you don't care, stop fucking talking about them. Because I'm done. I'm so done. Should we dive into it? Because we've got a lot of thoughts. We've already had a lot of thoughts, feelings and opinions. And I wonder how many more (laughs) thoughts, feelings and opinions we can squeeze into this hour. So as we said, we'll probably end up jumping around, but we are going to try and stick to bits of the plot as much as possible. There are like key bits of the plot we will try and land on. They may not be in the right order order but we're just gonna we're gonna go for it we're assuming that you've read it so we open our story on Longbourn where we are at the house of Mr and Mrs Bennett and their five daughters their five daughters are Jane the eldest who's like pretty and just I feel like personality wise she's a bit plain she's a bit sim not simple but she's simple and she doesn't want loads from life she's like too sweet for the world yeah like she's too because Lizzie spends a lot of time being like you just want to see the best in everybody even when Mm. people are being pricks you like want to see the best of them which is a very good trait jane but it's not very realistic so grow up and she's also blonde which therefore makes her the prettiest of all the sisters naturally naturally and then you've got lizzie the stereotypical brunette who is still pretty but she's smarter and she's feistier and she's daddy's favorite whereas jane's mummy's little girl yeah i i thought it was really tight how often her dad said that lizzie was his favorite yeah you're like sometimes it's just nice to know and i guess if you've got five and the other three siblings are just have no personality Mary what the fuck is going on with Mary Mary's the third eldest and she's a little bit churchy preachy but she spends all of her time in her room plays music and isn't interested in going to balls and it's literally it's the flowers in the attic effect where she just got bored writing characters and was like and they have another sister who just sits in her room she just sits in the attic and then you've got the two youngest Kitty and Lydia and Kitty and Lydia I actually really liked because I think that she wrote 18 year old and 16 year old girls very well they are vapid they only care about what hats they're gonna wear and about boys and about 
balls and about parties and about getting married and I was like I like this I like that they're basic bitches I love it I was like I have a lot of feelings about Lydia because baby girls are hot mess but aren't we all at 18 oh, she, she was needs... 16 when she got when she gets married to Wickham she's like a little randy mess of a teenager mm. and I love that I love that that is a character that's been written in today's society she would get drunk off maybe two to three Smirnoff ices smoke a cigarette be sick in some in the house party's garden and then be mm. like why don't you like me and then would get with the boy to make another boy jealous and I am so here for the drama that Lydia would bring and then Kitty her slightly older one is like maybe her cheerleader she doesn't go as hard as Lydia but she's like yeah babe she'd be the one who's always on her phone like let me just Instagram this she like enables her a lot yeah. I think I think Kitty's like just happy to be along for the ride I think like we'll come to it later but I feel like the way Lydia gets treated in this book is quite unfair but we'll get to that Mrs Bennett I wrote is a very Pam from Gavin and Stacey vibes she plays her Alison Steadman plays her in, <gasps> no way yeah in the Colin of course Burton. she does yeah. um, what a dream and what I, a dream Woman. I love Mrs. Bennett as well. I think she's a great character because what else are you going to do if you've had five daughters but worry about them getting married? And they also have like the ancestry land laws, which means that none of the girls can inherit the, the house that they live on. So she's got to make sure that all of her daughters are married off so that she's got somewhere to live when her husband dies. It's just smart. Like it's unfortunate that's what society was, but I think she was smart in trying to get her kids married off. Definitely. I think as you say, like she's, she's playing the game but Mm. what other choice does she have and this is the thing that I think we're probably going to end up talking about quite a lot is I know that it was a different time but it just fucks me off so much you're a a man and you have a wife and five daughters and you die they are all going to be completely destitute Mm. unless they are all married off and that's bullshit that's ridiculous I also like she reminds me a bit of my granny my granny used to play Ouija board and then ask the spirits the names of the people that we would marry that's all she was interested in is making sure they had boyfriends and got married too so I I totally get the pressure that is being put on her because I've had it since I was born and I just wrote Mr Bennett it's top banter top banter I've got a lot of time for Mr Bennett he's like such he's like a classic dad and I love it Mm. like I'm I'm here for him he's so sassy he's like sassing Mrs Bennett all the time but clearly he like proper loves her as well I love the dynamic I'm into it because it says later on that he married her because she was pretty and young and that they Mm -hmm. actually don't have a lot in common but he's with her now and he realised the error of his ways of marriage and I think he does love her but it takes a lot for him to love her it's they're not very like natural love. chalk and cheese mm-hmm. sort of characters but somehow that works do you yeah. know what i mean that like op- and as well i suppose a lot of it especially in the kinds of marriages they had back then was if you spent 20 odd years married to someone you just get on with it don't you yeah he he has like such a sense of humor about everything throughout the book and i think that's like just a really yeah. nice way to write a dad because i bet at this time a lot of dads just wouldn't have had much to do with their daughters because no. why would they sort of thing they just menstruate and get angry and they're just do. there to get married off but he's like very invested and we like that we like it and the whole thing opens with one of the most famous opening lines of literature of all time you're gonna read it for us i'll read well we're not gonna have a lot of quotes to read out so we might as well take them where we can get them it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife 
and that is the that's the setup of the whole book that's mm. like that's the book in a nutshell so we're all at Longbourn we're all chatting and we're talking about Mr Bingley who has taken residence at Netherfield which is like the big boy house in the I town I would describe it as Longbourn is you know when you're on Airbnb and you get these absolutely fucking huge mansions and you and your mates go and stay at them and it costs you a little bit extra and there's like deer heads on the wall and stuff and four poster beds but it's kind of gross at the same time but you go there because it looks like a stately home and it's got a hot tub i think that is longbourn and then netherfield is owned by the national trust like yeah that's the distinction (laughs) there and this is the thing again we're gonna make this clear as we were saying before about jane there's quite a lot of stuff in this book about how the bennets don't have any money and it's yeah. like okay they, they have they have money they, they don't have mr bingley money but they don't have, they have molly and hannah money mr bingley has moved into netherfield which as we said is the big fuck off giant house in the area and we should say that this book is set in Hertf- hertfordshire hertfordshire and this i had a real issue with this because I think it might be one of the most boring counties that has ever existed in the history of England. So I looked into it because it's just flat, isn't it? It's just outside of London. I really don't know. I'm going to let you take this because I've not got a fucking clue. Okay, so like the most famous town in Hertfordshire is Stevenage. And that really isn't saying a lot that the biggest claim to fame you have is Stevenage, Wellingarden City and St Albans. They are all like kind of shit towns. I'm sorry if anyone lives there, but they are kind of, you know, they're on that London orbital crud town and I am myself am from a London orbital crud town so I you know I can cause them when I seize them and I just thought because they talk about the, this being the country and I don't see it as the country but again I'm only seeing it in modern times I don't know what it was like in 1813 and 1812 because when they go to like Derbyshire how. I'm like yeah Derbyshire's got a lot yeah. of country it's got the peak district when they, they don't go to the lakes because yeah. the lake district whereas as you say maybe these areas central to london because of because of the expansion of london have like it's got bigger and bigger and bigger like the industrial center of it i just thought it's probably one of the least romantic counties that exists and i was looking through other great examples of literature so like you've got jane Eyre, which is set at thornfield hall which is meant to be you know a big brooding castle in yorkshire you've got rebecca which is set at mandley which is on the rocks in cornwall you've got um thomas hardy's wessex which has so much different layers in it of scenic mm. countryside and wuthering heights has the yorkshire moors and here in what is meant to be the greatest love story ever we just have fucking we just, they're just in stevenage just like. have, there is nothing they're in stevenage having some fun <laughs> i was just like this doesn't make sense the most famous thing that hertfordshire is famous for apart from pride and prejudice being set there is that the farm that animal farm is based on is there so a great literary county but maybe not like not showering itself in glory through these two things no i didn't get it because they do go to kent at one point and being from kent i can say it's vastly better because we're known as the garden of england like it's that's a good title to have i couldn't tell you what no i don't know i say like i don't whatever I'm, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the research that went into that segment. <laughs> I, no, I just thought, like, <laughs> because we are such a great nation of different geographical 
why would you pick this one? Why? And obviously, it was interesting because maybe that's like, I, I maybe I'm reading too much into it, but maybe this is a commentary on Hertfordshire because by the end, they all fucking moved to Derbyshire, don't they? Mm. They all fuck off to Derbyshire at the end. I was trying to find out about it and it doesn't look like Jane ever went to this character. Okay, because she was born in Hampshire and then she like Hampshire. lived in Bath for a bit and then she lived somewhere else. Yeah, it just baffles. Like, I don't know why. It just, I found it really irksome that it was set <laughs> in Hertfordshire because there's nothing fucking there. So why set it there? Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's some anyway, geographical... Uh... That was, that's my rant over. Mr. Bingley's come to the country. They're all like cooing over him and trying to be like, oh my days, what's he like? Mr. Bennett, why can't you go over and find out? And he's like, I don't want to speak to our neighbours. <laughs> Stop making me talk this to people. Long. And they're like, but how will we get these daughters married if we don't? And she's like, you have to go and tell him that Jane's fit. And he was like, I'll say that Lizzie's good. And she's like, no, you'll say that Jane's fit. No, no, she's no. the oldest one. She's she's like 27. She's getting old. No, she's 23, isn't she? Charlotte, Charlotte Lucas is 27. It turns out that sneaky Mr. Bennett had already gone over and was like, meh, got ya. I already went and spoke to him. Such banter. Such banter. We love it. <laughs> it is, isn't it? He's like, we're all going to a ball there. And of course, like, Kitty and Lily are like, oh, I did a ball. Let me go and get Diddy. And the others are like, oh, I guess we'll see what he's like. So they turn up at this ball. They meet Mr. Bingley's BFF, Mr. Darcy. And we sort of get the first impressions of Mr. Darcy. Like, he stands in the corner. He's kind of brooding again. I think he's just a bit emo for his own good. He sort of sits in the corner staring at everyone. They're like, do you want to dance? And he's like, mm, no, I think dancing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's just like a bit of a prick. And the thing that's fascinating to me about like Bingley and Darcy's relationship, and they say it more later, Bingley is just such a sweet, he's like a himbo. Do you know what I mean? He's just like a really mm. nice guy. And he doesn't want to... He's like a golden retriever. He's such a golden retriever boy. And he will do anything Darcy tells him to. And Darcy's just like stony faced, rude, like bordering on rude. I'm not even bordering, like he's just really up himself. And Bingley comes to him at the party and is like, oh, I've been dancing with Jane. She's lovely. She's wonderful. What are you doing? And he's like, no one here is good enough for me. He says like, you're dancing with the fittest girl in the room. So why am I bothering? And he's like, but her sister's sat behind you. She's pretty. You could dance with her. And he says, she's tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. And I'm in no humour at present to give consequence to young ladies who won't be danced with by other men. Because she sat by herself for like a hot sack. She just had to sit down. He's like, no one wants you and you're not that fit, so I'm not going to dance with you. And she hears him say this and is like, wow, okay, hon, you're a prick. And that's the main drama of the ball, really, isn't it? That's it, yeah. And then they all go home and then they meet their pals, the Lucases, who live in, like, another place. They live, like, round the corner They live in They live in the Lucas Venice. Lodge, which, because it sounds like a house in The Sims, like, because their name is Lucas, and they live in Lucas yeah. Lodge. Charlotte is Lizzie's uh, BFF, Lizzie's yeah. Friend. I like how they describe women in this, because fucking brutal like she does not hold back some of the time when she says things lady lucas was a very good kind of woman not too clever to be a valuable neighbor to mrs bennett they had several children the eldest of them a sensible intelligent woman about 27 was elizabeth's intimate friend a not too intelligent woman is that what's going to be on my gravestone a not too intelligent woman the main woman. thing they seem to say about the Lucases is that they're very very average and that's why Charlotte's not married mm. is like she's not very pretty she's not very bright she's not got a great deal going for her she's just Lizzie's best mate the Lucases throw another ball because this is what you do you just throw balls at the Lucases ball we meet Mr Bingley's sisters 
who are like snooty hoity-toity and up themselves they're like oh is this the country mm. and they very much kind of impress the feeling that like no one here would be good enough for their brother and for Mr Darcy and one of the Bingleys has got her eye on Mr Darcy she has hasn't yeah. she one's married and he sort of seems a bit of a chump mm. the guy that she married and then there's the other single sister who's kind of a bitch yeah no she definitely is a bitch because obviously yeah. Bingley like proper loves Jane like he's proper into Jane his sister is is not happy with that as will become clear later becomes quite instrumental in that match not yeah. um, coming off as easily as it could have done and she and she's got her eye on Darcy as well so she's just got fingers in all the pies she hates all of them because as well the Bennett family come off a little bit crass in society because the mum is so as Hannah said very Pam. She's a bit of a Pam laugh from yeah. Gavin and Stacey. She's kind of brash and loud. And her daughters, Lydia and Kitty, although they behave, they don't behave well for women of the age because all they want to do is dance and like Mary's a little weirdo who doesn't do anything but everyone's like well Jane and Elizabeth they conduct themselves relatively well considering their upbringing yeah Lydia and Kitty just want to flirt with soldiers and nothing else they have nothing else going in their heads and obviously the dad has like top banter but seems like a bit antisocial and then the mum is just this like overbearing matchmaking lady Um, but this will become quite a big theme as well is that the Bennets are not thought of as reputable people thank good they're proper we start to meet other people in the town so mrs bennett's sister mrs Mm -hmm. phillips lives in the local town there's a bunch of soldiers who have arrived now this is what confused me and i don't know if this does this in every single version but when they refer to oh what are they called they won't tell you actual details of things i've got like the three star Mm -hmm. troops it's three star sheer regiment and i'm like where are they from because you have like the lancashire regiment i think all this sort of stuff because i was listening to the audiobook at the same time and they would just refer to things like when they returned to the shire but when i looked in the book it was that they had redacted what shire they were returning to and i'm like is this i don't really know like i don't know why that's a thing nor did i and i thought it might have been a problem with my copy i was like whoever the editor is has let this go to print (laughs) yeah because mine had like a dash and then it would just say like dash share and in the audiobook rosamund pike was like the shire and i was like okay so i don't know why that's been redacted but it has been there's a lot of soldiers and lydia and kitty are just fawning all over the soldiers all the time they spend all their time in meryton flirting with soldiers but they love to go and kiki with their arms yeah they do i would like to be oh my god yeah absolutely get lydia out on canal street in manchester she'd be having the time of her life oh she would be oh love bless her (laughs) Whilst Lydia and Kitty are out flirting with soldiers and buying hats and shit, a letter arrives at Longbourn, which is the Bingley sisters inviting Jane to Mm -hmm. dinner. No one else, just Jane. Because they're like, Jane's all right. If we're stuck out in the country and we have to be friends with these people, Jane will be fine. Don't don't bring your mum, but you can come. And what I love, I really love, is that the mum is like, you can't take the carriage. Can I have the carriage, said Jane. No, my dear, you had better go on horseback because it seems likely to rain and then you must stay all 
night. That would not be a good scheme, said Elizabeth, if you were sure that they would not offer to send her home. Oh, but the gentlemen will give Mr Bingley's chase to go to Meryton, and the hearths have no horses to theirs. But I'd much rather go in the coach, but my dear, your father cannot spare the horses, I am sure. They are wanted in the farm. Mr Bennet, are they not? They are wanted in the farm much often than I can get them. So scheming. Oh, I love the mum scheming because she knows that it's gonna rain. She's gonna be trapped there for longer because she doesn't have the carriage. And her mum's plan gets even better when Jane gets Jane ends up staying there for like two weeks or something because she's too ill to leave. It's weird. I mean, like, how is she? But could you imagine if I was like, oh, mate, come round for dinner, we'll have some bears, it'll be a cute time. And then you were like, oh, I'm just gonna stay overnight, is that all right? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, you can just crash on the sofa. And then two weeks later, you've got a cold and I'm like, she's still here. She won't leave. (laughs) So then Lizzie has to go because they're like, your sister's dead ill and she's not coming home. And Lizzie's like, well, fucking hell, I'll go then. And Lizzie, because she can't get the carriage because the horses are wanting in the field. She walks, it's like four miles or something. And their minds are all blown because they're like, oh my God, why did you walk? And she's like, because fucking Jane's got the like one horse that we've got. So I had to walk because we're poor. (laughs) We're like middle class poor. What's poor? We only have four <laughs> horses and three of them are in the field. And you've got the other one. Yeah. <laughs> I need to do something about this. So they also then invite Lizzie to stay for the two weeks with Jane. I mean, I guess if you have a big enough house, it's mm. not so much of an issue if everyone's got their own base, no. but it's still weird. When Lizzie finishes dinner, they all finish dinner and Lizzie goes back upstairs to check up Jane. They immediately start bitching about her. And it says, her manners were pronounced to be a very bad indeed, a mixture of pride and impertinence. She had no conversation, no style, no taste, no beauty. Mrs. Hurst, one of the sisters, thought the same and added, she has nothing in short to recommend her for being an excellent walker i shall never forget her appearance this morning she really looked most wild she did indeed louisa i could hardly keep my countenance very nonsensical to come at all why must she be scampering about the country because her sister had a cold her hair so untidy so blousy yes and her petticoat i hope you saw her petticoat six inches deep in mud i am absolutely certain and the gown which had been let down to hide it not doing its offense and then bingley's like ladies come on (laughs) Let's put them handbags yeah, down. Yeah, they're pricks. They're fucking pricks, mum. Let, let's not do it. And Mr Darcy's like, I thought she looked all right. Look all that walking she did for her. Because he's there when she comes through into like the servants' quarters because she's walked and he's a bit like bamboozled that she can walk four miles that a lady can do such a thing because that's it if you're a rich little prick from the city you've never had to walk four miles and she's like babe it's the countryside i'll walk where i need to walk so yeah that kind of makes the whole thing like a bit weird and tense between these parties like obviously lizzie hasn't massively Mm. endeared herself to bingley's sisters but darcy's kind of been all right and then bingley's obviously like obsessed with jane lizzie doesn't like bingley's sisters because they feign their sort of care for jane Lizzie and Jane's relationship is a bit too intense for my liking. Everything is like, oh, my dear sister, I wish you could have been there. Oh, everything's so much better when you're around. And I know that's based off Austin's own relationship with Uh her sister, but I found it weird. So Jane eventually gets better and comes home. And then they get a letter, I think, from this guy called Mr. Collins. And Mr. Collins is like, hey, what up? It turns out 
I'm the dude who's going to inherit your land when you die, Mr. Bennett. I'm the reverend and I work for this big asshole called Lady DeBurr. Lady DeBurrow. Lady De- I call it DeBurr and I don't know why. I think, I think, I think in, the, in the audio book they said DeBurg. DeBurg. Okay, we'll go yeah. DeBurg. I work for this this snooty, fancy lady called Lady Catherine DeBurg and she says I need to get married so I can I have one of your daughters. He comes up and he's kind of like dry toast. He's so vanilla and just not interesting. He meets Darcy and Bingley and it's all kind of nice but ah and he can see that Bingley and Jane are about to get married so he's like I'll leave that one she's too pretty for me I'll have the sassy one instead yeah I'll take you sassafras (laughs) come on what do you say we can live a modest life in the country together and she's like no "Mm." because I don't know you and I don't like you like I don't know you and I don't want to get to know you and he's like Mm. I hear it's usual with young ladies to reject the addresses of men who they secretly mean to accept when he first applies and that sometimes a refuser is repeated a second or even a third time I'm not discouraged by you whatever and she's like oh mate can you just listen to me like I don't fancy you I don't want to marry you i would rather be paid the compliment of being believed sincere go away please and he's fuming he's like you don't know what you've missed out on lady catherine de berg's a legend and we're like calm down she's not that i'm in the pocket of a really fancy yeah grow up like you don't know what you're missing out he's the absolute epitome of like nice guys finish last i was just and he because he was like i don't want to take your house off you when your dad dies he's not gonna last forever i was trying to do you a favor and it's like fuck off and then he'd be like you're not even that pretty anyway and then he goes and marries the best mate instead that's fine they're both bland together they can live a bland little life charlotte's been on the shelf for a while charlotte moves down to their gaff in kent then like all of a sudden mr bingley leaves (laughs) netherfield and everyone's like what why what's happened and they get a note say not selling the house but not coming back see you later and mrs bennett has quite a right she's like sell it to let some other fun people move in we could get another rich man to come and marry jane like i don't need it to be yeah. you um, and jane's obviously got it she's dead um, but he's gone back to london kind of indefinitely when does wickham come in i don't um, understand the plot of this book anymore i don't know where we're up to nor do i so also I think also there's a soldier called george wickham who i think jane and um, not jane lizzie was having a bit of banter with and he tells her a load of shit about darcy so he was raised as like a ward in darcy's house and he's like mr darcy senior was such a good man he was gonna set me up with a job in the church he was a great lad and mr darcy junior is a prick and when mr darcy senior died his son just like cut me off and like left me with nothing and i've been absolutely fucked over by him what a prick blah, 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 blah. and because obviously Darcy's already like not got a great rep because he's rude yeah Lizzie's like yeah. so ready to believe that and everyone is like oh god that Darcy guy what a dickhead well good thing he's gone so yeah maybe we've here. not missed out on much he's clearly a piece of work sort of thing George Wickham's just he's just being a bit of a fuck boy he's just like vibing along he's loving being in a soldier yeah. owning the town and loving having all these women adoringly fawn on him because he's a soldier women love a man in yeah him. He seems quite switched on, so him and Lizzie are like vibing, mm. it's fine. They got good banter. I think he is someone who's very charming, yeah. is how I describe him. He's exceedingly charming. He's sort of like, I'd probably compare him to Dolotov, Dolokov in uh, War and Peace. That's all the main players now, isn't it? We've been, all the characters are in it now. Yeah. yeah. Jane, because she's so depressed, goes to stay with Mrs. Bennett's brother and his wife, who is, she's sort of like the cool aunt. She's kind of a little bit older than Jane and Lizzie, but not so old that 
that she's like their mum and she and writes dad to Jane, isn't she? And she's like, I know you're sad, yeah. but come London, you might see him, you might not, but you'll be here and you no. can have a nice time. Jane goes down to London, and then Lizzie's like, oh fuck this man, being at home, I guess I'll go down to Kent and visit Charlotte. So she stops in at Jane on the way down. They have some fun in London. Not a lot mm. is known about their time in London. And then she continues down to Kent and stays with Charlotte and Mr. Collins, her cousin. And he's a lot more civil now because he's like, haha, I'm married, you're not. I hope you can be happy one day. Pfft, you turned me down, so go fuck yourself. So. And Charlotte seems like happy because all she wanted to do was get married, basically, because she was like well old mm. to not be married. And so she's married and she's fine. And Lady Catherine's there, she's been a prick. And Mr. Collins is obsessed with her and they like keep going to her house for dinner and it's like leave her up leave her alone he's obsessed with her it's gross it's really weird but it's that obsession with someone like so powerful and so influential yeah. isn't it this is where we find out we find out that darcy is lady de Berg's do we no, also it. find out that George Wickham was a bit of a... No, we don't find it's a wrong one. Do we find it's a wrong one? Not no, yet. No, because then they have an argument... When do they have the argument? Which Oh, they have the argument when they're down in Kent because he finds her on her favourite yes. walk and gives her a letter. Because so is that, that, so is that when so, he proposes for the first time? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Lady Catherine is Darcy's auntie. He rocks up. <laughs> I don't know. We clearly don't know. And he rocks up and he... I did fold <laughs> it down, the, the first proposal. He proposes to her and she's like, nah, mate like you, you're a prick oh. and you were shit to my mate Wickham and why would I marry you like fuck off and she's sort of like I know you must be the reason as to why my sister isn't married to Mr Bingley right now apart from his shitty sisters who I don't think he'd listen to you're the only one he would listen to so what the fuck have you done why have you ruined their happiness why would you think I would marry you off of the back yeah. of this you're a cunt to Mr Wickham Got one the of the things up. that she said which I thought was funny was Mr Wickham owes his like misfortunes to you and he says his misfortunes repeated Darcy contemptuously yes his misfortunes have been great indeed and of your affliction cried Elizabeth you have reduced him to his present state of poverty comparative poverty like he's still fine Fine. I was just like fucking rich people (laughs) because of you he's not got any money it's like it turns out later he literally doesn't have any money but she's like you're a prick yeah you fucked up my sister you fucked up my mate Wicks so like why am I gonna Mm. marry you hon off your part I think this is something that comes across in the films a lot more is that he stares at her a lot and she's like why is he staring at me why isn't he making conversation why is he just being creepy you know when you're on a night out at uni and it'll either be someone's ex Mm. or someone who fancies someone will just stand at the bar and like stare at you while you're dancing and you're like I feel so uncomfortable oh my god you know in Welly where you had the so if anyone has been to Welly and Hull you will understand Mm. this but in Welly where they have the main dance floor and then they have the seats and people used to like stand on where those seats are and you'd always see some boy with like a Jaeger bomb just standing there like squinting angrily looking out like brooding just brooding at a girl who's dancing yeah it's very that so i think a lot of it comes down to like a certain level of social awkwardness but comes off as rudeness yes. and one thing i will say been... for darcy is unlike mr collins who when she turns him down is like <laughs> you're just saying that because that's what girls do mr darcy fully is like oh she said no okay which for a posh boy who has been given everything in his life is very and he then goes on to ultimately become a better person but he doesn't do that for mm. Liz he, he does 
does. He does it because he's like, I wanted to impress you. But at no point yeah. does he come to her and go, I'm a better person now because I want to bang you. Like he becomes a better person because he realises he's been a bad person. And then ultimately he's like, I did want to impress you again, but he doesn't make a big song and dance out of it. Like he just does it, which I like. So Darcy takes into consideration everything Lizzie has said and is like, oh, do you know what? I'll write a letter and explain why I see him like a cunt. Finds her on her favourite walk and is like, don't want to say anything. Just read this letter. Says it all. The letter goes on to explain that yes, he did break up Bingley and her sister because he thought her sister wasn't really into it. The bottom line is also her family are shit, like for his family to be associated with because they're crass and they're poor, but also that Jane didn't seem into it. Yeah, ultimately he was like, I'm trying to protect my man. I don't want to see him get hurt. And she did not see hose. Yeah. And it says, Bingley has a much stronger dependence on my judgment than he has on his own. Bless him. He's such a golden retriever. He was like, I didn't want your sister to fuck him up, especially since your mum's a nightmare. Your dad doesn't do anything and your sister's sluts. Yeah, basically. basically. He literally goes like, I hate all of your family and that's why I think your sister is not good enough to marry my best friend. Yeah, and I liked as well that he sort of says that Jane just didn't seem interested. Like, she seemed interested because he was rich and Lizzie in the book sort of goes, yeah, I can see that Jane isn't very forthcoming with her feelings or emotions. Of yeah, she's like, she's told me how much she likes him but she's never said that to him and it's coupled with it's not just that like her family are I mean it literally is that her family are nuts it's like we were hearing tell that Bingley and Jane are getting married and he was like I don't recall anyone asking you babes like why does everyone in the town think you're getting married where's that come from your family that's where it's come from spreading shit spreading shit and then his second point was that okay so you have heard Wickham's side of the story you haven't heard mine and he's like yeah I hope some grudge because my dad loved him more than he loved me and setting him up with loads but because it's my titleage inherited I do get more money and my dad set him up to be a priest and then Wickham was like mm, I don't know if I want to be a priest can you just give me some money so I can go and study law Darcy's like okay sure have some money so Darcy sends him a shitload of money and he blows it all and doesn't study law and then he's like actually I don't think I want to study law anymore I think I do want to be a priest so can you give me my rightful priest entitlement that you said I would get the house the money and Darcy's a bit like well no because that was my father's generosity you've already used up mine I don't think you deserve this Wickham is sort of like pissy teenage girl he's like a Regina George and he's like really you don't think I deserve the money well then let's see what trouble I can get you into and he like doesn't kidnap okay but he like befriends Darcy's little sister who's like 10 years younger than him yeah and tries to like elope with her and run away with her for her money basically that's like the whole thing where like Darcy's fucked him off so he takes advantage of his little sister basically which is dog shit that's a horrible thing to do Darcy's sister is Georgiana is like 10 years younger probably didn't know her parents as well as Darcy there's a difficulty in having a brother who who's 10 years older and has to go off and do business shit and you're left by yourself with your brother. And like governess. as well that your brother's not your brother, like your brother's your dad, essentially. Yeah. Once, it, once, once their parents are dead, he's like, I obviously am her brother and I look out for her, mm. but I had to parent her because she's 10 years younger. Do you know who I think is hot in this whole story, which we haven't even mentioned before? Darcy's cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam. Oh, what an angel. I was like, 
marry him, Lizzie. Yes, I would bang him so hard. He sounds like a babe because he's like just talking to Lizzie and sort of tells it how it is. He's got no qualms. He's like, because I've got a separate end, fortune. So Lizzie's like mates with, they're all fucking cousins. They're all related. Hmm. And Darcy's like, here's my story. This is what Wickham did to me and my family. We didn't tell anyone because we don't want to like ruin Georgiana's reputation when she has to like come out and do the whole marriage thing. Hmm. But my cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam, was there. If you need receipts. And she's like, the fact that he's even suggested I ask him tells me it's probably true. Because why yeah. would you have told me where why to get you? my receipts if it wasn't true? Colonel Fitzwilliam, please. Hop, bang him in a second. Lizzie then has to go back up. Lizzie and her cool aunt decide that they're going to go on a tour of the Lake District together. So Lizzie's fucking buzzing. She goes back up. The little sisters were like, we got a splendid cold meat luncheon for you, but you have to pay for it all because we spent all our money on hats. <laughs> I just love it. Like, teenage girls haven't evolved <laughs> much past anything. Oh, my God, that's it. Like, it just it just isn't bonnets anymore that they spend money on. It's like plastic jewellery from Claire's Accessories. Hannah, okay, plastic jewellery from Claire's Accessories was 10 years ago as well. <laughs> we, what do they spend it on now? I think they spend it in Primark on false eyelashes. Okay. Or like the Kylie Jenner lip kits, like that kind yeah, of vibe. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, but Lydia and Kitty are just buying hats, I love having it. the time. They're buzzing. I just want to be as happy as they are all the time. Yeah. Like that sort of being young and everything being exciting. I just want to relive just, that again. They're just giddy constantly. And I love that for them. <laughs> um, it's like they've just got that sugar rush of the first shot of apple sours. Yeah. That level of giddy, but constantly. But then this is the point, honestly, at which the story starts to get actually interesting because yeah. Lizzie is going on a northern tour with her like auntie uncle. Lydia and Kitty go to Brighton. No, only Lydia goes to Brighton because Kitty's pissed off. Only Lydia goes to Brighton where all the soldiers are hanging out like it's like a soldier festival I don't know like it felt like a festival the way they were just the way, soldier, fest. soldier fest the way they were talking about it it felt like a festival do you know what I mean they were like it's where everyone's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be such a good time and so they go up north they can't go to the lakes they're very disappointed they have to go to Derbyshire instead mm. I too. think that's fair the lakes are stunning oh Lizzie was gutted about not getting to go to the she lakes was, she was she? so sad but then isn't there a Taylor Swift song like take me to the lakes with the poets yes, I imagine is. Lizzie would be listening in, to that in the car all the way up to the lakes. Yeah. <laughs> so they go they go to Derbyshire, lovely part of the world, it's where my mum's from. They go to very damp. It's a very damp it's, part it of the is world. damp. And they go to Mr. Darcy's house in Derbyshire. Right, so this is another thing I wanted to talk about. Because they just knock on. Darcy's not there and they hear that he's not going to be there for like another day or two with his party from London. So they're like, should we just go and knock on his door? And the housekeeper's like, oh, come on in, strangers, and let me give you a tour of the house. Now, I don't think any poor person could go and knock on the door and be like, no, absolutely. I just and thought it was mental that they... <laughs> yeah, they hadn't been invited what? because then while they're no. there, Mr. Darcy turns up and is like, oh, hi, Shit. girl who rejected me. Why are you in my house? And she's just like, hi, we're just having a look at your lake. Why are you not in the lake in your shirt? Like Colin Firth didn't happen. Heartbroken. That's, that is the biggest lie I think I've ever been told is Colin Firth in the lake. I know, disgrace. It's faker than the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> but then is it while they're up in their no on their northern tour that all the drums with Lydia kicks off. Mm-hmm. So this is when it gets so, spicy. This is the best bit of the book, honestly. Well, I actually thought the tension between Darcy and Lizzie whilst they were in Derbyshire was really like I thought it was really yeah, well written. It was. Because he like knocks on and she's sort of like really awkward and like, shit, I'm kind of not ready, but I don't know I am 
can feel yeah. it. But the drama's happened. So Lydia's been down at Soldier Fest. <laughs> George Wickham has spirited her away from Soldier Fest on the understanding that they're going to Gretna Green to get married. They mm. never get further than London. They're just hanging out in London. And everyone's like, where's Lydia gone? She's not in Scotland. She's not. And they can't just text her because it's 1830. I was thinking, there's not even a call. You can't even pick up the phone and be like, because Hiya. like, because then like Mr. Bennett and that uncle, like, we're just going to go to London and find her. And Lizzie's like, how are you going to just find her like, in London? How are you just find her in London? Big place is full of people. But Mr. Darcy is actually there when Lizzie gets the letter explaining everything that happens. So she's agog and aghast and is about to faint and he's there to prop her up and she explains the situation because she knows that Wickham has done something similar to... And she's very much like, I knew he had mm. this in him and I didn't tell anyone because I obviously didn't want to like spread the gossip. Now he's doing the same thing to my sister, so I've been fucked over by trying to make a person. And it's this whole thing where Wickham's got all these gambling debts and Lydia's like just skipping along, having a lovely time, not realising she's been like essentially kidnapped. That's the thing about Lydia is all the way through this book, <laughs> even at the end, so like they like force him to marry her because otherwise her <laughs> reputation will be ruined. That's like the thing. And the thing that really upsets me is that being married to Lydia is held mm. up as George Wickham's punishment for being a piece of shit. Because Lydia is like, and then we got married and oh, we're having such a lovely time. Me and Wickham, I love him ever so much. And Lizzie's like, he does not want to be married to you, but she is having the best time. And I just felt so bad that when they're trying to find her and they're like, shit, will they get married? They better get married. The dad's too old to fight him to make him get married. They keep saying you have to go and force him to marry her or my dad might get killed in a duel. They're also like, well, marriage was never on the cards, really, when you think about it, because we ain't got no money. Fucking Lydia, no one wants to marry her. So this isn't a love thing. Yeah. And it's <laughs> We're because, not too sure why he's done this. Yeah, because that's it. They're like, we, we can't quite work out what... She hasn't got any money and she's completely no. nuts. So, like, what's he doing? So it's still never... We never really find out what the motive is. And Wickham doesn't know that Lizzie and Darcy are flirting with each other. Yeah. So he has no idea that there is any snifter of money. Why does he take her away? I mean, sex, yes, is the big answer. But surely in 18... 18- well. As a sexy soldier, you could probably go and fuck someone else exactly. if you wanted to. Who's I don't not going to ruin? But ultimately, I... they have to p- p- basically pay him to marry Lydia. They like pay off his gambling debts, which is like a couple of grand. Bear, it was bear money. And that's the thing that really upsets me is that like I think Lydia has dealt such a raw hand in this book because Mm. even right to the very end of the book when she's like having to borrow money off Lizzie because her and Wickham are just bouncing around the country because Mm. they're trying to find somewhere cheap to live essentially because they've not got any because both of them are are completely useless with money and they don't have any money. But she's having the greatest time. She thinks she's in this beautiful like love match and everyone else can see that he's there because the other option was him going to like debtor's prison it's mm. crazy so they get married and then the punishment is they have to go to newcastle yeah they have, they to, have to live to in newcastle. newcastle for a bit and you're like cool fun city love newcastle absolutely love it great night out it's sort of like that's your punishment the dad is well unhappy about it because he thinks that his brother-in-law has paid this debt and he's like fuck how am i gonna pay this money back because i don't have it lydia's not worth this because he even says at one point something about he has x amount of money to give to his daughters and he was gonna divvy up on how much (laughs) he liked the daughters or how much the marriage was worth so i don't think lydia would have gotten a lot and she Uh, pretty much got the whole when wickham is like 
like, if you give me X amount of money to pay off my gambling debts, I'll marry her, basically. And yeah. Mr. Bennett's like, I won't fucking marry her for less than 10 grand. What's he playing at? Like, yeah. he's absolutely throwing away <laughs> this opportunity. So that happens, whatever. And then kind of simultaneously with that, Lady Catherine de Bourgh shows up and is like, Lizzie, I hear you're marrying Darcy. And she's like, no, that's Mm-mm. not, never not said that. Lady Catherine's like, he's marrying my daughter, so I think not. And Lizzie's like, right, no, we're not getting married, but also you don't get to tell me and him who we marry. Also, marrying your cousin. Oh, there's so much of it in this book. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so and then things kind of wrap up, don't they? Bingley comes back because Darcy told Bingley everything. He was like, mm. "I knew Jane was in town. I didn't tell you. I'm sorry. She proper likes you. You should go for it." Basically, go and marry the girl. And they are so happy. They're like mm. the happiest, and it's very cute because Bingley's back. Darcy's back, obviously, and Darcy sort of comes around a bit more. And the mum's like, "I do detest." how horrible he can be at times and then lizzie's like i'm marrying him and she's like oh my god how wonderful you'll be richer than jane think of the jewels you can buy you'll have more money than jane i was like literally yes mrs bennett but they yeah so they have this conversation where he comes back and this is what i thought was really interesting about darcy so he says you showed me that i was being a shit person and i appreciate that cheers i think i'm now a better person (laughs) and he says that as a child he was taught what was right but i was not taught to correct my temper i was given good principles but left to follow them in pride and conceit i was basically taught that everyone who wasn't my family were a piece of shit and not to care about them and i wrote we love a man who is checking his privilege he knows he's been toxically masculine in the past and he's learning and he's helping learn and ultimately and this is a big thing that i've i've done a lot of research into on tiktok is i think what mr darcy needed was a woman to show him that he needed to be dominated. I think he's got a oh. big... I think he's got a big degradation kink, personally. I just thought he needed therapy. I mean, he does need therapy as well. Like, he's not okay. <laughs> the phrase I've written he here it, yeah. is, I think I think he wants Lizzie to, like, step on him. I think that's what he's going to okay. Okay. Maybe that's made up. That. Maybe that's not real, but I feel... I feel that. She's shown him a new side of himself, which is more, like, in touch with his emotions and less mm. judgmental of other people. And he's shown her that she shouldn't taking everything on face value, yeah. basically. And that is the and pride and the prejudice of been Because Lizzie, the whole way through this book, thinks she is the shit and thinks she knows everything. But she is 21. And what 21-year-old girl does not think that they know the shit, that they're 100%. everything? And that if they like, tell their, like, don't marry him don't go out with him like he's shit you're better all that kind of stuff like she yeah. fully thinks she's got it all sourced they end up getting married there is a tiny little epilogue like the last chapter is an epilogue which i do like and it's that they had to sell netherfield because as nice as mr bingley was he couldn't deal with his mother-in-law because she's <laughs> so terrible they, so they go and buy a house near darcy's <laughs> and they all just live in derbyshire instead yeah and they're 30 miles away from each other and they say and kitty went and lived with her sisters and vastly grew up mary stayed at home and because she wasn't being compared to her other sisters felt better about herself but it's still a little bit weird and then yeah. lydia swans in every now and then but she's not allowed at pemberley yeah lydia's not allowed at pemberley and wickham's not allowed anywhere lydia turns up on her own and they sometimes give her money mm. because she needs it i also liked as well uh 
Lizzie and Darcy get engaged and they're like telling everyone. Mm. Like, so Liz Lizzie writes to her aunt who's buzzing for her. He writes to his aunt, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, who isn't buzzing for it. Mr. Bennett writes to Mr. Collins and says, because obviously Mr. Collins was like, don't mess with Catherine de Bourgh. Dear sir, I must trouble you once more for congratulations. Elizabeth will soon be the wife of Mr. Darcy. Console Lady Catherine as well as you can. But if I were you, I'd stand by her the nephew. He has more to give. And I was like, mm -hmm. lol, soz Collins, you've been done. As well another bit that was really good in the end is like Mr. Bennett really missed his daughter but his favourite thing was to turn up unannounced and spend time with her and I was like that's so cute and he also sort of was like hiya and Let also me. I thought it was quite funny Mr. Bennett was like kind of largely happy with all the matches that they'd made but like Wickham mm. was his favourite I think because Wick Wickham's the most interesting so he was like he's like who else but a fuckboy could be with Lydia yeah Mr. Bennett's looking at it going like no one else was going to marry her she's off my hand <laughs> fuck it great yeah <laughs> i mean that's Stuff. it that's the most romantic book that's ever written. it i did have to google was it a love story and it is the first thing that comes up on like all these a level gcse analytical notes pages like here's how it's a love story and i read it and again i don't think it's a love story i think it's a toleration story it's a story of two people who tolerate each other and maybe back in the 1800s that counted yeah, true. like that was it i would say the main two characters get the character development they learn things from mm. each other that's very important i don't necessarily think that's love that's two people who are clearly good for each other in some sense mm. but that's because at the beginning of the book they were sort of both pricks so they just became better people and then got married which is fine and as I was saying, like one of the podcasts I listened to was a couple of English professors and they're youngish English professors talking about it. And they said when they were studying it, their English professors were like, why do you all like this book? Give me an explanation of why you like this book. And they said the answer was 18 year olds who are reading it, 18 to 21 year olds said they saw themselves in this story. It's because it's loads of fucking teenagers pissing yeah. each other off and being like, I'm not talking to that person. What did he do? Tell me, like that's what, it's just like uni. And maybe that's yeah. it. I'm, I'm too old now. Now to think that's like so, romantic they did mention Catcher in the Rye and one of them was like how dare you compare Catcher in the Rye to Pride and Prejudice no I fully get that because I hated hated Catcher in the Rye and I think it's because I'm too old I read oh. it I read it when I was 20 and I was like well, you're a fucking child grow up see I read it when I was 15 and it was my favourite book I think that's the difference though I think if I'd read it when I was 15 I would have buzzed off it but yeah. I read it when I was a little bit too old and I was like silly child yeah I couldn't go back and read it now because I know I would have negative memories rereading it. You would, would re-read like, it, especially yeah. with your like feminist goggles on, and you'd be like, yeah, what completely. is this? And maybe I was just too old to read Pride and Prejudice. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I yeah there are certain books you should read at certain ages of your life and maybe i have passed the span for part yeah practice. well we're not gonna do how wet did you get because i think the answer was not particularly i will ask okay i will do one quick thing fuck marry kill go on wickham bingham and darcy okay i'm gonna uh i'm gonna fuck wickham obviously mm -hmm. Mm. obviously unfortunately yeah. i think i'm probably gonna have to marry darcy because i don't think i vibe with a golden retriever boy oh don't you See, i don't I think, think i do it. i think you do but i think i, would, I need a bit more intellectually p. from bingley hundo p bang wickham oh yeah got no, have no question or, or, or would he be like because he fucks everyone just a pump and done kind of guy do you think he would be into foreplay would it be better i mean would it be better to be lydia and lock him down i this think darcy question. might be sexually more advanced than wickham I 
feel I like think Bingley's Bing- going to be a proper virgin, though. Bingley's going to be like um, Will in the Inbetweeners when he's holding yes. sticking on that girl. I think you could mould a Bingley. Yeah, um, because he's got nothing going on upstairs. He doesn't yeah. know what's happening. If Mr. Darcy's not there to tell him what to do, he's not going to be able to do anything. But I also think if you said to Mr. Darcy, that wasn't good, he wouldn't speak to you for a week. But, you know, but he would. <laughs> if it was these days, he'd go and he'd be on Reddit, like, Googling. He'd, yeah. like, research. <laughs> and then, be, I think he? Darcy's, like, a big Reddit bro. But I think he would use it to educate himself. So there okay. we go. We'll find some way of putting that on the social media because I want to know what the general consensus is. But obviously you don't just have to take our word for it. Whatever word it was, I'm not really sure what conclusion we came to. <laughs> have you got some reviews for me, Mal? So I did try and look for a negative review and I couldn't find one. The only negative reviews on Amazon were about spelling or Kindle versions. So I found one, which I sort of think I felt most drawn towards. Okay. It's quite long, sorry. So it says, Jane Austen has a superb prose style she I can't read what I've put because I've screenshotted my friend's <laughs> chat yep. so there's a word I cannot read she something like a very good female colonist of the something school spectator magazine or perhaps taking Austen as their model they wrote like her either way if you take Pride and Prejudice a chapter at a time as I did then you can read each chapter as though these were the latest instalment of Austen's column okay They're quite short chapters for nine tenths of its length Pride and Prejudice is a tree mag- excellent novel however once Lizzie and Mr Darcy became engaged the narrative began to feel more than a little contrived to me although the author works very hard perhaps a little too hard to convey the opposite impression like Lizzie's father I simply did not find them to be a well matched couple I also found that once they were hitched neither Lizzie nor Darcy had much to say to one another that could have been of interest to either nevertheless for nine tenths of its length Pride and Prejudice is brilliantly written novel and with Jane Austen you are in the hands of one of the finest subtlest and most penetrating of social satirists that England has ever pr- produced. This was really hard to read, drunk guys. This is a fancy one. <laughs> so I feel the design like... of the 1991 Everyman's Library edition, to which this review relates, is elegant and unfussy. The typeface is easy to read, and it looks to me as though the original spelling and punctuation have been retained. Miss Austen was certainly no stranger to the comma. It's almost like I think Lizzie and Darcy are that epitome of mm-hmm. the chase is the fun bit, the back and forth is the fun bit, and then when they're married, yeah. like what are they doing? In. What did the um, good people of Goodreads have to say about so it? So I've got one. Gashed all over I've got this. one from Goodreads, and because they fucking gashed all over it, I chose a bad review because I thought it was funnier. Mm. But then I have my favourite ever review from Audible because I'm so excited I for this. listened to the audiobook as well. But I'm going to read the Goodreads one first. So it has a little note at the top, and it says the review you're about to read was written in 2009. 2009. That's over 10 years ago. I was 17, Mental. and I thought I was the smartest person ever. In all honesty, I barely remember this book now. So this is her. This is like a caveat to the actual review, which mm-hmm. says, This book is quite possibly the most insipid novel I've ever read in my life. Why this book is so highly treasured by society is beyond me. It's 345 pages of nothing. The characters are like wispy shadows of something that could be interesting. The language that could be beautiful ends up becoming difficult to decipher and leads me more than once to skip over entire paragraphs because I became tired of having to stumble through them only to emerge unsatisfied. The plot is non-existent as though Austin one day decided she wanted to write a novel 
and began without having any idea of what would happen except there would be a boy and a girl who seemingly didn't like each other but in the end got married. The story yeah. really probably could have been told in about eight pages but Austin makes us slog through 345 pages of mind-knowing balls and dinner parties. I don't care what anyone says, this is not great literature, this is a snore. So that's what yeah. a 17-year-old thought of it but I don't think we're that wrong. This is, quite possibly, the most wholesome thing I've ever read and I'm going to read it. So it's a five-star review on Audible by a man called Sean Bliss and I'm going to read it, I'm going to say the because there's a lot of emojis in it as well. Mm-hmm. So the title is, yep, I can now say I've read it, wink face. I finally bit the bullet and read this book, wink face, brackets, because it's on the classics list, smiley face, close brackets. I got laughed at by most of my male and female friends for doing so, crying laughing, lol, crying laugh, but it was worth the read. And as a 38-year-old rough and tumble style male, I actually really enjoyed it, big smiley face. From now on, sorry, <laughs> from now on, anytime I hear any of these girls' names said in public i shall remember this book and smile oh sean sean is overcoming his own toxic masculinity alongside darcy i just thought that was so lovely and i want to give sean a hug and i want him to get better friends who won't laugh at him for reading books no we are friends sean sean listen to this podcast sean bliss please listen to this podcast because we sean we love you honestly we love you sean made me so happy the use of the emojis fact that he's a rough and tumble style male but he loved the book like he can now say he's read it you know beautiful so we've had i'd say an absolute blast we kind of enjoyed it i'm not too sure Um, i think like i've enjoyed the conversation i didn't not enjoy the book it's made me want to go and watch bridget jones again for a reason Mm. not just because i want to watch bridget jones molly like you were just like (laughs) what an odd thing to say Well, I knew Colin Firth was in both, so I thought that was the link. Mm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. We will be back at some point with season two. We um, really appreciate everyone who has filled in the feedback form. Yes, um, thank you we're so gonna, much. So this is going to go up on Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, obs. We're going to leave that feedback form up for like another week. So if you have any thoughts, please go and let us know. We really appreciate that some of you actually did it as well because I think everything we do with this, we sort of aren't sure anyone's going to care about. So thank no. you for that. We can announce that the first book of season two will be Rivals by Jilly <gasps> Cooper because our first book was Riders by Jilly Cooper. Can you see what we're doing? That we might start each season with the next book in this We're going to have to keep doing seasons until we've read all the Rupture Chronicles basically so strapping guys and yeah we just really appreciate everyone being so lovely and i want our listeners to be my valentine this year because they're so wonderful and we love we love you if this is your first time listening because you're a big pride and prejudice fan and you stumbled upon this podcast because you typed in pride and prejudice into google you can find us on facebook as literally gagging just type it in and we'll be there on twitter as at lit gag pod and on instagram as at literally gagging pod yes yes if you (laughs) want to email us you can do at literally gagging pod at gmail.com we love a bit of fan mail who doesn't we do enjoy all your recommendations as we said the feedback form has given us some good books to look through some good fantasy books which we hadn't ever really thought of before so that's the starting point for us 
to please let us know what you think let us know what you um, want to hear as as molly said if you haven't come to this podcast before we do normally go for the sexier side of life rather than the romance that i enjoyed it yeah. um, and also maybe this podcast has just broken me but my thing was that i started making a little list of yeah what i thought they were all like in bed because i thought it would be a useful addition to the uh, to the literary you, canon who did you rank as best in bed i honestly think probably darcy because i think he cares yeah. He cares about being good at stuff. Whereas, like, mm. as you say, Bingley, sweet boy, doesn't know where the yeah. cut is, does he? Like, mm. he's trying, but it's not working. I feel like Wickham is the kind of guy that you're like, oh, yeah, Wickham. But I bet he's not that good because he's just, like, smashing it out. Anyway, maybe that is a conversation to have on a Patreon if anyone ever gave us some money. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Happy Valentine's we, Day. We love yeah. you. I love you, Moles. This has been a joy. I love you too. If you're spending it by yourself, treat yourself. Get yourself the good chocolates. Get yourself some good wine. And if you are apart from your Valentine this Lover's Day because of quarantine, I hope you have some good Zoom sex. I hope you don't get cut off at the 40-minute mark. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's three people in the meeting. That's, that's yeah. a spicy time. <laughs> Just tell everyone that you love, that you love them. It doesn't have to be a sexy romantic time. It can just be your pals. But I think everyone needs a bit of love this year. So go and spread it. Spread yeah. the love. And if you can't say that you love them, tell them that you love us and this yeah. podcast and spread Ooh. the word about that instead. That's... So stay safe, everyone. Stay indoors. Wash your hands. Especially if you're um, wanking. Especially Do you wanking. Have, treat yourself to a little Valentine's Day wank, like some candles. Make it romantic. Honestly, it's what Captain Tom wanted. <laughs> Please, please don't edit that out. Please leave that in. <laughs> please. Right, on that note... We have to go. This is We really awful. have to go. This is okay. a pleasure. Um, happy Valentine's Day. Be good. Stay safe. Stay clean. We love you. Bye. Bye. Jesus Christ. A big thank you to Bobby Bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything. Um, to Bethany Southworth for our jingle. And um, the other incidental music is from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech, um, the king of royalty-free jams and saviour of media studies students the world over.